Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. A few days ago, a topic we addressed in the show kind of centered around the idea this Georgia team was going to be a little bit different in one respect than maybe some Georgia teams have been in the past, and this could, I think, be fun for Georgia fans. We have been used to the last couple of years, Georgia National Championships, being built on the back of historic defensive play, certainly in 2021, and you know, for the most part in 2022, a carryover of that, even if it wasn't quite the same thing. Historic defensive play, really good line of scrimmage play, including offensive lines that probably should have won the Joe Moore Award as the nation's best offensive line, just couldn't get over the hump of Michigan, the Michigan Wolverines, I don't guess, uh, but probably should have done that. So big time play along the line of scrimmage, you know, big time play from uh, a defense, competent play from your quarterback and Stetson Bennett. That's kind of been the story of how Georgia's put together two straight national championships. And over the course of the time that Kirby Smart has been at Georgia, dating back to 2016, the overall image you've had of Georgia is this is a team that wants to fight you. This is a team that wants to be more physical than you. This is a team that wants to dominate you that's kind of been what Georgia is they like to shove you around they like to push you around they like to assert their physical dominance they are not quite as finesse as some other programs are and the byproduct of that is and this is admittedly true that because Georgia has been so physical because Georgia has been so centered around lines of scrimmage as important as that is you have seen some position groups lag when it comes to the uh, I guess the overall success that other position groups at Georgia have enjoyed that you can never have quite you know completely equal completely dominant levels of success across the board in every single area you're always going to have some strength you're always going to have a couple of weaknesses and Georgia what kind of counts as a weakness in the past has probably been that wide receiver group there are programs like Alabama and Ohio State who have really been led and propelled by their wide receiver group by comparison that's not really been the overall story for Georgia now it's worth repeating we repeat this all the time that hasn't stopped Georgia from being the very best program at uh, of all in college football that hasn't slowed georgia down in its pursuit of the overall dominance of the sport but it is just one of those deals where georgia has been made up differently put together differently than other national championship contenders have been that's not necessarily a good thing it's not necessarily a bad thing it is just a thing that has made georgia different than other would-be championship contenders but we have some indication that this year georgia could be a little bit different in terms of its overall makeup than georgia teams have been in the past and i do think there's a level of curiosity on the part of some fans of like oh what would this look like if georgia was maybe a little bit more led by its crop of wide receivers in a way that other programs kind of have been georgia for the most part kind of hasn't been what would it look like if georgia was a little bit more like that for 2023 we may be about to find out the thing we brought up on the show not all that long ago was if you read the preseason magazines we do enjoy those we're kind of old school and analog in that way uh athlon's preseason magazine ranked the georgia wide receivers the best in the sec for the upcoming season that's just one outlet's opinion we understand that but if that's true that's an opinion that would carry a lot of weight 
given the fact that historically programs like LSU almost always seem to have great wide receivers. Tennessee certainly had great wide receivers a year ago. And Alabama, the really the, the, the backbone of that program has been wide receivers. So much so that Alabama would tell you if the wide receivers are injured, the season doesn't even count. That's how built by wide receivers uh, Alabama has been over the course of uh, years. So in all seriousness, if Athlon's prediction that Georgia's wide receivers will be the best in the SEC here this season, if that comes true, that tells you a lot about Georgia's wide receivers here for the upcoming year. But now we have new information on this. And if you're a Georgia fan, I think this is kind of interesting. And uh, once again, it seems important to say that what I'm about to say doesn't mean that Georgia's going to be better than it has been in each of the last two years. But football is about entertainment. And sometimes it's entertaining to see stuff that you haven't quite seen before. So maybe a little bit of a new frontier for Georgia offensively here this season. Athlon says best wide receivers in the uh, SEC. Pro football focus, and I realize PFF and the sort of numeric based stuff, and you know the kind of things that they you know kind of pull out. That's not everybody's cup of tea. Totally realize that, but it's at least a a point worth discussing here right now. That pro football focus ranks Georgia's wide receivers as the fourth best in the entire country for the upcoming season, behind Ohio State at the top of the list. But Georgia fourth best in the country, ahead once again of the likes of the Alabamas, the LSU's, and the programs like that. Pro football focus is apparently very enamored with Georgia's wide receivers for the upcoming season let me read to you what they recently published about this and I think it sort of sets us up for kind of an interesting conversation here uh, PFF saying that Georgia's receiving court uh, starts with Brock Bowers who could go down as one of the greatest tight ends in college football history the Bulldogs also returned their top two wide receivers from 2022 Ladd McConkey and Marcus Rosemey Jackson McConkey's 42 combined receiving first downs and touchdowns last season ranked second among SEC wide receivers football focus says they go on to mention that dominic lovett transferred in from missouri and earned the fourth best grade from a power five wide receiver last year at 83.7 this is pro football focus's own metrics they conclude by saying that rah rah thomas also transferred to georgia and led mississippi state in 2022 with 626 receiving yards now by now we've talked about this plenty you've heard me say about brock bowers that i do believe that bowers is a historic figure way back in february on the mount rushmore of georgia football players of all time i already had bowers on my list i believe that he can add to that legacy this year i do truly believe even though we haven't seen this happen since the 1940s i do truly believe that brock bowers can win the heisman trophy at the very least i do believe he'll become the second pass catcher in georgia football history to have more than a thousand yards receiving this year that's the kind of season assuming full health that's the kind of season that i think that brock bowers is in line for this year and if that's true and i think for the most part it's appropriate to count brock bowers as a receiver we made our case for that a year ago if that is true then when you look at what georgia has around brock bowers also catching the football i don't know that on paper the depth has ever been quite as prolific as it appears to be right now lad mcconkey had a terrific season for georgia a year ago this is a guy who knocked on the door of 800 receiving yards playing in this very prolific georgia offense a year ago his decision to come back for georgia was a very big deal uh, marcus rosemey jack saying his decision to return to uga when he probably could have gone somewhere else maybe could have gotten a bigger spotlight on him his decision to return to georgia as pro football focus also mentions is a very big deal if all georgia did was bring back the guys that had performed well a year ago that would already 
already be a pretty big deal and a pretty nice thing. But as PFF correctly points out, Georgia also went out and brought in the leading wide receiver from two different SEC teams, and now they put that on the roster there as well. In the case of Dominic Lovett, this was one of the most prolific wide receivers in the entire conference a year ago. This is a level of seasoned experience depth that's just unlike what we're kind of used to seeing Georgia have. And that's true on the basis of what you've seen with your own eyes. There's not a lot of projecting going on here. You know, in in the summertime, I joke with our audience a lot because we do live commentary and I kind of respond to what people say. And this is that time of year in the college football conversation where hope sort of springs eternal. And I sort of jokingly say of myself, our audience, those of us who interact about this kind of stuff, that we all have a tendency to bet the over on every individual player this time of year. Oh, this guy's going to get a thousand yards and this guy's going to a thousand yards and this guy's going to get a thousand yards. Uh, we have a tendency to sort of bet the over on everybody. And a lot of that's projecting how good we think a player can be in our own minds. But in the case of the guys we just mentioned a moment ago, there is very little in the way of projecting or imagining going on here. It's simply saying, hey, if Brock Bowers replicates, if Lad McConkey replicates, if Dominic Lovett on a new team replicates, if Rod Rod Thomas on a new team replicates, if Marcus Rosemey Jackson, if he also replicates what he did a year ago, that is an incredibly explosive crop of wide receivers. But we're going to talk to Mike Griffith about this in a moment. He's going to join us because he mentioned uh, this guy by name. There is also room for some imagining there, too. If you want to kind of use your, you know, kind of, I guess, more creative brain and kind of conjure up what could also be possible from guys we haven't seen full seasons of productivity uh, from yet. A guy like Arian Smith, well, all of a sudden you can think, well, gosh, based on what he did against Ohio State, based on the big catch he had against Tennessee, what about a full season of full health from him? We saw a nice preview of this potentially uh, at G-Day going back in April. What if you got that full season from Marion Smith? Could he still be the best of the bunch, even though the other guys are all you know pretty prolific and pretty successful? Could Arian Smith still be the best of the bunch? I think it's possible that could be the case. And that's one of the reasons why I think for Georgia fans, this is kind of fun because, hey, Georgia's already shown you they can win the national championship with just enough play from wide receivers, just enough play, you know, uh, with the, from the passing game to go along with great lines of scrimmage play, terrific historic level defense, obviously some tenacious hard nosed running when it's required. And in 2023, they may also be ready to show you that they can kind of play a different kind of football there as well and as you know if that's the case if if that's what Georgia puts on display I think that could serve the program in a number of ways obviously as you move ahead to 2024 it's a tougher schedule it's a, a, a more expanded postseason the road to a national championship in 2024 is going to be tougher than it probably appears to be right now Georgia on paper looks to play a fairly manageable regular season schedule we still have just four teams total making the playoff Georgia is likely to be a very big favorite every single game it plays this year including the postseason games assuming it qualifies for them that Georgia is just likely to be a, a pretty big favorite but the challenge becomes greater in 2024 where Georgia truly might need to play offense every bit as well as it's play defense now I think in the two national championship seasons the last couple of years I think the overall performance of the Georgia offense has probably been underrated but in the future Georgia may need to be so good offensively that it can't be underrated that it it may need to be unmistakably good moving forward and what happens in 2023 could sort of set the stage for that And, and and let's face it here for a moment there's a lot of Georgia fans sort of wondering okay what's this regular season going to be like where 
it doesn't appear that Georgia plays a, a marquee game of any note maybe until November. And if Tennessee loses games, which it very well could, prior to that showdown in Neyland Stadium in November, then maybe even that game doesn't quite have the cachet that it possibly could have. So what's the regular season story going to be if Georgia's not exactly playing the sort of marquee games you expect a national championship contender to play? Georgia just may be so much better than its competition. That kind of thing may just not exist on the Georgia schedule this year. So maybe the the, the mystery and the intrigue and the and I guess the sort of self-proclaimed challenge what that maybe becomes is trying to figure out, okay, well, how good can this offense be? You know, can Georgia dial up all these receivers? You know, can Georgia unlock that full offensive potential? Because if you go back and look, you know, there are lots of examples of teams that have had a thousand yard receiver. I'm talking about going back the last five years in the SEC that didn't have a thousand yard rusher, right? I mean, sometimes it seems like when you ha- when you have that focal point wide receiver, that kind of takes some oxygen away from other parts of your offense. But an interesting thing sort of appears there too when you look at teams that have had two thousand yard receivers. I'm talking about you know Alabama in 2021, uh, LSU in 2019, Bama in 2019. The Bama team in 2020 came very close to doing that. When you look at these teams that have had multiple thousand yard receivers, they've also had in almost every case and in, in, in all the cases of the, of the teams that I just mentioned they've also had the thousand yard rusher to go along with that that it seems like when you really kind of find a passing attack that really fires at all cylinders to the point where even your second leading receiver is also seemingly getting whatever he wants that seems to unlock all facets of the offense including the running game there as well and that's at least a potential possibility for Georgia this year that it kicks in all remaining doors and conquers all remaining frontier of an offense that really is as good as its defense it doesn't necessarily make Georgia a better team overall because Georgia's won the last two national championships doing things the way that it's done it but for a lot of fans it would be kind of entertaining to see this brand of football and when you read Athlon's preseason magazine or pro football focus and all that kind of stuff it sounds like they think big things are truly possible for the Georgia receivers here this year my name is Brandon Adams and this is Dog Nation Daily the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans presented today by Breda Pest Manager. We're so happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us, live on video, 945, first and 15, dognation.com, dognation app. That's the platform we have right there on our website or right there on our app for you to tune in, to watch our show each and every day. And you've tuned in, you've helped us grow that platform. We're so thankful about that. That's when we give you the extra content there starting at 945 as a way of saying thank you for making that our fastest growing, I guess, most successful platform in some respects. We certainly appreciate all of that. Those of you that like to join us on the traditional platforms like Facebook, we've been there, I guess, the longest. YouTube, obviously, Twitter, Twitch, things like that. We're glad to see you there at 10 a.m. there as well. Radio Noon, Athens Sports Radio 96 The Ref. Happy about being back on the radio again today after the hiatus of the holiday yesterday. And, of course, podcasts, Apple, Spotify, WorldFamousDogNation.com, all kinds of ways for you to catch our program. We're glad that you do that. And a big thanks to our friends at Breda Pest Management who make it all possible you know bugs and critters it sort of feels like this summertime of year is the time which that kind of stuff comes out more so than ever before you're probably noticing that when you're outside and you don't want that stuff on the inside well that's what breda pest management can do for you and 
The good news is they also do that for UGA there as well. Proud Partners of UGA, the official pest control provider of UGA. That means when you see all of these athletic venues there around campus and all these new nice improvements taking place to these facilities, just know it's Breda Pest Management protecting those Georgia facilities from bugs and from critters and from termites and everything else. And that same level of service they want to provide for you there as well. They've been in business since 1975. They've got 125 employees. And here's why all that kind of stuff matters is because if you're working with like some sort of fly by night company who, you know, doesn't have the same level of resource, then they're just struggling just to keep up in many cases and you're feeling the effects of that because you get that letter in the mail that tells you your cost of service is going up at the same time your cost of service going up the quality of service you may have been getting maybe that's going down with Breda Pest Management, that's not going to be the case. The, the level of resource that has gotten them trusted by UGA, they want to put that to work for you to put more money back in your pocket for making the switch to Breda. So it's time to make that decision. Find them online, BredaPest.com. And let me spell this out for you. It's B-R-E-D-A. That's how you spell Breda. BredaPest.com, B-R-E-D-A. Visit them online, BredaPest.com. Find out how you can make the switch, save, put more money back in your pocket instantly just for making that decision all right we got a, a fun conversation coming up with mike griffith here in a moment i want to keep some of that wide receiver talk going with him a little bit because he kind of wrote uh something uh all along those lines at dognation.com yesterday that kind of ties into this at least a little bit so we'll do that with mike here coming up in just a bit prior to that i want to go around the doghouse and i'm very excited to say we have a brand new sponsor bringing on board here today around the doghouse poured by our friends at dr pepper and their brand new strawberries and cream soda this is going to be really really awesome i'll tell you more about that here in a moment but it's so fun to have dr pepper as a part of uh, around the doghouse here on a dog nation daily today that is really exciting and for georgia fans what is going to be really exciting today at least you hope so a lot of folks tuned in here on this july 5th date to see what happens with the big time four-star offensive lineman out of the state of georgia uh walton high school in daniel calhoun calhoun's expected to make his commitment announcement i thought the jeff centel at dognation.com yesterday had a very important preview announcement of uh what calhoun's ultimately going to decide georgia fans obviously hope this is one that goes the way the dogs kind of following the footsteps of michael uini the big time uh, offensive uh, tackle prospect who made his pledge to georgia uh, just the other day we've been kind of led to believe that this is going to be a series of dates here coming up where georgia had a chance to really add to its offensive line ranks uini was a big get on friday calhoun would be a big get if he falls into the fold here today and I thought it was really interesting to see in DogNation.com, the story that Jeff wrote with Daniel Calhoun, what has kind of mattered to Calhoun on all of this. I think this is really interesting. And to me, it obviously says something interesting about Calhoun as a player, but I think it also kind of reflects about the kinds of players that Georgia seemingly does well with. Now, ultimately, I don't know what Calhoun's going to do with his commitment announcement, but it seems like there's a certain kind of player that seems to do really well at Georgia. Georgia seems to do really well with these kinds of prospects. And it sort of feels like Calhoun would be one of those type of guys because Jeff asked Daniel, what matters to your recruitment? What's going to be the ultimate bottom line on your decision? And let me show you what Daniel Calhoun uh, said here. I'll read this quote to you. This is via the story that Jeff Sintel had at dognation.com. Daniel says he's looking to say, who develops offensive tackles? Who's going to put them in the league? but also the relationship between the coaches and the players. That is ultimately what Daniel Calhoun said was going to matter to him with his commitment decision. Now, in this story there as well, Daniel revealed a couple of pretty interesting details that I thought were, were, were uh, you know, revealing, at least in some respects. He said that the Georgia official visit that he took, you can read this from Jeff Centella, dognation.com. I hope you will read the entire story. 
Uh, he said the Georgia official visit didn't rank as his best official. It may not have ranked as his second best official. He talked about the, uh, I guess, the tension paid to him when he took the visit to Tennessee, the kind of flash and glamour of the uh, uh, official visit to Texas, the fact they had a bunch of Lamborghinis and uh, Ferraris and you know things like that all around there, a lot of glitz and glamour uh, to those official visits. The wow factor may have been a little bit higher, visiting Tennessee, visiting Texas. And yet, ultimately, I think a lot of Georgia fans would be led to believe that Georgia still has a very good shot of winning a commitment announcement with Daniel Calhoun today. Well, why is that? Because Georgia does have a history of putting offensive linemen in the NFL. That's been true for the entire time that Kirby Smart has been Georgia coach. And for a guy like Calhoun, the glitz and the glamour might be fun and taking a, a, a trip and being having the red carpet rolled out for me, kind of a cool thing, not to say that Georgia didn't do that, but other places maybe did that really well for him. Yet ultimately, it's the kind of the nuts and bolts and the sort of bricks and mortar, I guess, to sort of mixed metaphors there. It's That's the kind of stuff that ultimately really mattered for uh, Calhoun, will really matter when he makes his commitment decision here today. So if he chooses Georgia, not only is Georgia getting a player who could really be an important part of future Georgia offensive lines, but it's also getting a player who seems to be very much attuned to what Georgia wants its players to be focused on. How do you come here? How do you be the, become the best, best version of yourself? How do you set yourself up for a successful professional future? Those are the players who seem to thrive at UGA, and that is maybe what Daniel Calhoun is ready to do. We'll find out about his commitment announcement coming up a little bit later on today. And that is Around the Doghouse, poured today by Dr. Pepper Strawberries and Cream. Now, for anybody who knows me personally, one of the things that you know is, is that I love Dr. Pepper. I love Dr. Pepper almost more than anything else. Always been one of my dream sponsors. And to have them now a part of uh, Dog Nation Daily and Around the Doghouse is a very, very big deal. Well, guess what? Let me tell you what else is a very big deal is the announcement that Dr. Pepper wants to make on the show with us here today. How about the really cool brand new Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream? Uh, it's an amazing new thing from Dr. Pepper. Uh, amazing new permanent flavor introduced here from Dr. Pepper. Such a big deal. You can go by your local Kroger and pick this up and pretty much anywhere else where all this is served uh, and all this is sold. A chance to get in on a brand new offering from our friends at Dr. Pepper. You're talking about something that tastes good during the uh, summertime. This is it. Dr. Pepper, strawberries and cream. By the way, they also have the Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream zero because uh, admittedly I've kind of sort of veered in the direction of the zero calorie stuff a little bit more as of late because that's what i need these days uh well if you like that and listen i do love the dr pepper zero sugar as it is well if you like that you're gonna love dr pepper strawberries and cream zero sugar there as well all of that available for you here right now brand new permanent beverage being offered uh by uh, dr pepper that's a really really fun thing for us to be able to announce here right now it's great to have dr pepper with us for around the doghouse and great to have dr pepper strawberries and cream available at your local kroger and everywhere else there as well so check that out here today what a fun new thing to introduce to all of you as a part of around the doghouse here on dog nation daily all right so before we are done on today's show obviously georgia fans watching closely to see uh what happens with daniel calhoun a little bit later on today it's kind of amazing how busy the fourth of july and that kind of time just before the fourth just after the fourth has become for recruiting a lot of recruits like making their announcements during that holiday time of year yesterday i would say we got a little bit of a recruiting surprise maybe a little bit of a commitment decision that probably went a slightly different way than i thought it was going to go we'll tell you about that also one of georgia's rivals is planning on spending big 
in the hopes of catching up with the uh, dogs. We'll tell you about that there, too. So a lot of ground to cover with you over the course of our time before we are done. Uh, but before we get to any of that, how about we shift gears? And for the first time in a little while, we'll get ready to talk to Mike Griffith. Mike had a couple of interesting stories over the last couple of days at DogNation.com. One of those ties in very well with what we were talking about at the top of the program here today. So let's cover all of that ground and more with Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Mike Griffith back here on Dog Nation Daily again after a few days off, so we're happy about doing that. And uh, Mike, hope you're doing well. And I want to bring you in on a topic we were just uh, discussing. This also kind of ties into something that you wrote at DogNation.com there as well, that the level of praise right now we're seeing for Georgia's wide receivers coming into this season is probably unlike anything that I'm kind of used to. And in most cases, this isn't just hype about what might happen, but you're really looking at well-established proofs of concept. You know, Brock Bowers has played two years at Georgia, if you want to count him as a pass catching. Uh, you know, he's certainly a pass catcher. I, you know, for the most part, kind of counts almost as a receiver. Uh, he knocked on the door of 1,000 yards a year ago, could kick that door in here this year. Uh, Lyon McConkie was quite prolific uh, a season ago. He sort of proved when he can be. You know, guys like Dominant Lovett, Ra Ra Thomas, they led their teams in receiving in the SEC last season there as well. This is the most established uh, group of wide receivers. I think that Georgia has had to begin a season in quite some time possibly ever certainly in kind of like what we think of as sort of the modern era of college football I would, I would say that's for sure what do you think of the spotlight Mike that's sort of been on Georgia wide receivers to begin this season the preseason chatter that's been going on over the course of the last couple of months yeah Brandon you know it's um obviously Brock Bowers is is the preseason all-american uh, player of the year candidate I, I think he's been the most valuable player on offense the last two years from a a scheme standpoint, no, nobody has the answers for number 19, and I think he's what's really made Georgia's defense so hard to defend, at least when I talked with the TCU linebacker at the Senior Bowl, I said, what happened? He said, we we couldn't get lined up. We, we couldn't figure out how we were going to defend number 19. And, you know, all the planning that people do could be easier for teams this year, frankly, uh, because Darnell Washington's not out there to create the, the problems. And, of course, Kirby Smart talked about how not having Darnell Washington will hurt the play-action game. Um, you're just not going to be able to move people at that other tight end position. So uh, that could complicate things a little bit. But I'm with you. I- I'm really high on Bowers. I'm really high on Lovett and Lad McConkie. You know, I think Lovett and Lad McConkie are two guys that, you know, maybe not nationwide names. Uh, certainly I think people know who they are in the SEC. But um, these are guys who could become household names if, Georgia has the sort of season that I expect them to have. Well, in your story at DogNation.com yesterday, too, which I thought was a lot of fun, you talk about like the you know guys that could provide some fireworks for Georgia here this year. Another name that you mentioned that's a little bit more of a projected idea, but we've seen some enough flashes to know what he could be, and that's Arian Smith. That you know, if I talked about Dominic Lovett, we're going to talk about like a proven track record for success. This is a guy that caught the ball all over the place for Missouri a year ago. You mentioned Lad McConkey. That was a guy who had nearly 800 yards receiving for Georgia last year. That's a pretty prolific season. You know, these are proven concepts at this point. The Arian Smith thing is a little bit more of, well, did you see what he did in a short burst against Ohio State or a big catch against Tennessee? Some of this is sort of imagining what a full season of that would potentially look like. But my gosh, when it comes to the overall explosiveness, the overall you know, idea of being the embodiment of what we think of when we think of a playmaker, 
gosh, Mike, I think that Arian Smith may be as exciting a name for what could be as exists on this Georgia roster right now. Well, there's no question about that. Um, the, what I took note of from Kirby in the spring game was, hey, we got to be careful how we're going to use this guy. And what that means to me is Georgia needs Arian Smith in November and December. So I don't think he's going to be a high-volume guy. Uh, you know, Kirby said the more you use him, the more chances there are to get hurt. He talked about him being tackled awkwardly. And this is a head coach. The head coach is just saying what we're all thinking. He's been incredibly injury-prone. Once he played 19 out of 40 games. And so I don't think you're going to see him out there making five, seven, ten catches a game in September. You might start seeing him get warmed up a little bit in October, November. Because what Kirby has done so well, Brandon, that I think has enabled Georgia – to win these last two national championships is manage his roster. And, and that covers a lot of ground, okay? It's not just how you manage the locker room and the NIL and the connectedness and, and all that. It's also making sure that your key players are available at the end of the year. For example, we didn't see a lot of Kenny McIntosh running the ball at the start of the year. They used him as a receiver, obviously. He was you know, integral in the win over Oregon. But it really wasn't until the end of the year when Georgia really needed to lean on him when Stett was struggling at Kentucky and Georgia Tech, when you had to get that run game going. That's when you saw Kenny McIntosh. Kirby talked about the second half of the Missouri game when Kenny came alive and had that big fourth-down conversion run and ran the guy over. He mentioned that at the, the championship. That's why you didn't see as much Kenny McIntosh in September and early October. I think it's going to be the same with Arian Smith. I think you need to make sure he's around for that incredibly challenging stretch run in November. Everybody wants to talk about Georgia's schedule, but look at November. November is challenging. It's going to be challenging. And it leads right into the SEC championship game, which there's going to be a really good team on the other side there, whether it's Alabama, LSU, or Texas A&M, I don't know. But one of those three teams will be waiting. So the thing I would say about Aaron Smith is that, yes, he may be the fastest player in the country, but if he's not healthy, that doesn't help you. So – I look for him to come on at the end of next season. That's interesting. And I guess one more point about this, and we'll shift gears to talk about something else. You talk about what Georgia could face in November, and you know, maybe that's the case, but there's also a chance that teams like Ole Miss and Tennessee have lost a handful of games by the time you get there as well because that is more towards the end of the year. You know, Certainly in September and October, and really for most of the season overall, Georgia's expecting to be a very big favorite in all those games. And, Mike, I think one of the things I start to wonder is, okay, what is Georgia going to do about that? How does Georgia handle a situation in which there's just not going to be a lot of week-to-week drama assuming the season plays out the way we believe that it will? Sometimes college ball surprises, but let's just, for the sake of conversation, assume this kind of plays out the way we think it might likely play out. If that be the case, Mike, then maybe Georgia just sort of turns it loose. Like, if there's nothing to be sort of learned week-to-week, if there's nothing to be gained week-to-week, you know, maybe just Georgia just sort of goes out there and turns it loose and lets all these guys kind of, you know, put up big numbers and, and Georgia kind of plays a brand of offensive football that they often haven't really felt like they needed to do a lot during the regular season. Georgia seems to kind of turn it up offensively more in its biggest games than it does in some of its lesser games. Maybe this year, when there's not a whole lot of week-to-week drama Maybe they'll just be content to go out there and see how prolific this offense can be. It obviously helped your future recruiting efforts. It might set you up for 2024 season when you may need to play better offensively week to week because you're playing uh, an overall what we believe to be tougher schedule. You know, maybe George just sort of goes out there and cuts loose and turns it loose this year and just sees how many numbers this offense can put up. Uh, certainly a lot of Georgia fans would hope that'd be true, whether it actually ends up being true or not. 
Maybe, you know, but, you know, if we look at the track record, you know, last year, for example, I thought it was interesting that, that Georgia's Kirby Smart's highest three-game total ever was in the postseason last year. Yeah. I mean, who could imagine that your highest three-game point total stretch would be LSU, Ohio State, and in a national championship game? I, I, it just blows, you know, it just doesn't make sense, right, Brandon? I mean, to your point, you know, you, you would think these numbers would come, and yet, you know, there was that Sanford game, which was terrible. The Kent State game was a struggle. Like, what, what's going on here, right? I don't know how much of that was Stetson, how much of that was the game plan, how much of that was these other teams playing really well. I, I just have a hard time believing that the other team really had much to do with Georgia's performances against Sanford and Kent State, which I think both you know both of us would say is want to puke at times. I, I think it was more Georgia being Georgia. So, and, and to be fair, it is hard to play your best game every week out. It's just human nature to get up for the big games. Tennessee game, yeah, they probably could have poured on another two or three touchdowns if they'd not gotten a little conservative in the rain. But but that was the smart play. Your defense was dominating. I, I don't know. That's you know you raise an interesting question about turning it loose. I think the first two or three games, we might still be trying to figure out who the quarterback is. I'm not, you know, I've talked to some people, and, you know, I don't, it's not as done as, as a lot of people want to make it. I mean, Kirby Smart told us that. He told you right there that this thing wasn't over, and he told you what he thought about Brock Vandergriff, and he said that he wanted to see both these guys playing games. And then, and then I talked to someone recently who's very, very close to the team, and he said, you know, here's the thing. Carson Beck never won that job when he's had jobs before, and, he hasn't won it yet. Now, the G-Day game was fantastic. I'll be the first to say I thought he looked tremendous. I'd put him in the Heisman Trophy races. He can play like that every week. Um, but the problem is the other team's defense won't be scripted like it was this time. And the other team will be able to hit you, which they weren't allowed to hit the quarterback this time. So I think there's more questions going in than, than maybe we realize. I mean, Kirby did say that this, this, this was only 25% done. Now, I don't expect... Tennessee Martin or Ball State to press Georgia. I don't think those are going to be challenging, particularly challenging games. I don't even think South Carolina is going to be that challenging because they don't think they're any good at the line of scrimmage. But Auburn, uh, maybe, right? So I'm not quite ready to say that Georgia is just going to run away with the season. Um, you know, their front seven is not going to. You know, the front four is certainly not as good. If teams can have some success running the ball, you're not going to have those quick three and outs like we've gotten accustomed to the last two or three years. The other team's going to be on the field a little bit more, and your offense isn't going to have all those opportunities to answer and, and finally get started, you know, like it did in a lot of other games. So I, I'm not projecting next year to be quite as easy as maybe some others are. I, I'm not saying they're going to lose games, but I don't think it's going to be quite as easy as maybe it looks. We'll put a pin on that and come back to that at a later time. Uh, shifting gears, something you wrote about, kind of echoing what we talked about a lot over the last couple of weeks, which it just sort of seems like that there are a lot of people picking someone other than Georgia to win this year's yeah. national championship. And Mike, I want to be very clear about this. People have a right to make whatever opinion they want to. As a fan of Georgia, I have pretty thick skin about stuff like this. I don't get offended when, you know, so-and-so says someone else is going to, to, to win the national championship. I think, I think opinions are fine as long as they're kind of grounded in facts and well-reasoned, well-argued. I think the issue that we've tried to express here on the show the last couple of weeks is is that some of the people who seem to be grasping for, whether it's Kirk Street in Ohio State or Reese Davis in Michigan or, you know, whatever you kind of hear kind of kicked around, 
uh, actually, Kirk Herbstreit's tied in Alabama. Let me correct myself on that. Kirk Herbstreit tied in Alabama, or Reese Davis tied in Michigan, or you know whoever you know might you know tout for Ohio State here. You know, there's there's a certain I think logical disconnect that exists with some of that. And, and I've also said, Mike, listen, if you're a Georgia fan, you've been waiting a long time to see your team be back to back national champions the way you are right now. I don't have a problem with a Georgia fan who says, I want the full privilege that come my way because of that, right? Like, I want to see deference paid to my team. I want to see my team acknowledged and some in some form and fashion this offseason doesn't quite seem like that's the case. So while we're not necessarily offended by it, we do think it's interesting and probably incorrect from a logical standpoint. I know you've written about this there as well, and what you wrote kind of got some attention there too. So uh, I'll give you a chance to kind of weigh in on that conversation. Yeah, I, I think you're right, Brandon, and and I, I don't think I don't think we're having thin skin here by taking note of that. I, I had, you know, one of these um, one of these people on Barstool. I don't know if we call them journalists, entertainers, whatever they are. That, I don't, that think, wanted we, to, I don't to, think we. I mean, I'm the last one that anyone's going to confuse with a journalist, but I don't think we call the Barstool people journalists. No. I, don't, okay, I don't even think well, they want to be called that. Well, I don't. Uh, whatever they are, I mean, it, it's fun. I mean, they, you know, they have some, some, you know, fun and clever content and some off the wall stuff themselves. But you know, someone called me out and said this was, you know, fake juice, and it's like, no, it, it's really not. It, it, you know, take a look around at some of the preseason All American teams, and you know, I just, I kind of feel like Georgia's kind of the Rodney Dangerfield of national championship programs. It's I'm still hearing, you know, I mean, even Aaron Murray. Aaron Murray's out there, well, you know, if Alabama's receivers wouldn't have gotten hurt and if Ohio State wouldn't have gotten, those teams probably would have been. That's Aaron Murray. That's your own quarterback that's saying that Georgia wouldn't have won those games without injuries. And and they're two-time defending champs. Brandon, I'm still looking on, on Kirby Smart's resume for National Coach of the Year. I, I saw Sonny Dice accept that award. I mean, excuse me, this is the guy that lost 65-7. to seven. You know, and it went from... You know, uh, you know, Kirby not getting it, uh, you know, as Georgia was on the rise and they were close, you know, he didn't win those years that they were close but didn't get there. And then when he did win, they said, oh, well, he was supposed to win. Well, now, wait a minute. You know, I, I looked in 2021, and there weren't any Georgia football players on USA Today's preseason All-American team. None. None. And yet there were 15 guys drafted. But I didn't see Kirby Smart win Coach of the Year, National Coach of the Year. So he started the season with a team that didn't have any first-team preseason All-SEC guys on offense or defense. And he wins a national championship and gets 15 of them drafted, and he doesn't win National Coach of the Year. Then he repeats. It becomes the only program in the four-team college football playoff era to win back-to-back championships, becomes only the second team in history to go 15-0, and and guess what? He didn't win coach, National Coach of the Year again. So you're, you're telling me that's not a lack of respect? I, I, I'm sorry. I, I just think people are so married to Alabama and Nick Saban. It's just such the de facto pick. And, and listen, I, I respect Nick Saban as much as anyone. He's a seven-time champion. He won six of them in Alabama. But you know what? Four of those came with Kirby Smart. And as time goes on and we watch how Kirby recruits and manages the roster, I'm starting to think that Kirby had more and more to do with those Alabama national championships, and yet he's not getting a lot of national respect. Now, that could be because he doesn't cater to the national media types. He doesn't ride in the car for sing-alongs on ESPN commercials. He doesn't do that. He doesn't stop practice and, and, and welcome personalities into the middle of the field you know, to, uh, you know, to play catch with, uh, you know, with Brock Bowers and, and take pictures. And, you know, Kirby's about business. 
and he's is about championships. And if the media doesn't recognize that and doesn't give him the proper respect, then shame on the media. But as a guy who's covered several programs and several Hall of Fame coaches, I can tell you that Kirby Smart is as good as any of them. And to me, it's criminal that he doesn't have more uh, National Coach of the Year honors and that his Georgia program doesn't get more national respect. And, and people can say, oh, well, they're preseason. Yeah, well, you can say they're preseason number one, and you're not going to expect them. But right now, you're not talking about their guys. You're I mean, not out there. And, and by the way, they may be preseason, pre- and I'm sorry to cut you off, but they may be preseason number one this year. They're preseason number three a year ago. No one gave them any chance. There was no prominent voice anywhere that picked them to win the national championship a, a, a year ago. So you can you can say what you want, but in terms of Georgia feeling disrespected a year ago, I believe that they did. And so some of what we're seeing, Mike, right now is actually just an echo of what we saw a year ago where they were virtually written off after having lost those 15 draft picks, things like that. There were, I mean, you know, AP poll, coaches poll, the official polls for sure, but even kind of the unofficial sort of talking season stuff like we're doing right now. There were very few people kind of, you know, outside maybe, you know, uh, this show Dog Nation, they gave Georgia any chance of winning the national championship a year ago, and they won it with relative ease, as easy a run toward the national championship as we've seen during the playoff era almost. Well, during the playoffs for sure, and, and let's not forget 13 transfers and four of them were starters on top of 15 draft picks. would have been 16 with Adam Anderson. So I've never seen a roster lose that much in one year much less a team lose that much to the – well, no team ever had lost that much to the NFL draft. That was a record number of NFL draft picks, and it came in an era where transfers was allowed, and Georgia lost 13 of them, Brandon. Four of them were starters. And, and yet, even after the largest haul loss of talent in college football history, Georgia goes 15-0. and but, but, but it's the guy that, that they beat 65-7 to that wins the National Coach of the Year. Help me out with that one. Well, let me just say this, and we'll finish with this here. Mike, we're about to move into, like, the official prediction time of year. You know, we'll have SEC media days in a couple of weeks, and, you know, we're we're kind of in the season at that point in time. We're the early days, still several weeks prior to the start of playing games, but we're essentially about to be in the season. Here's what I'm very curious to see. Of media types, whether it be national types or just, you know, prominent voices here in our SEC region, whatever else, like how many people are correctly going to acknowledge what the number one story in college football is this year? It's the fact that Georgia's going for a third straight national championship. And it hasn't happened at all in the playoff era. Uh, hasn't happened in college football at all since the 1930s. This is the biggest story in the sport. I'm not saying you can't talk about Ohio State trying to get over the hump against Michigan or, uh, you know, Nick Saban trying to get one more good moment in kind of the winter of his career here or Texas and Oklahoma taking advantage of the last year in the Big 12 or you know Caleb Williams coming back for USC I'm not saying that Georgia going for three straight is the only story but it is the biggest story so whether it be you out in Nashville in a couple of weeks or fans tuning in from wherever they are this is the thing I think it's really fun and interesting to kind of keep track of and observe here how many media types correctly acknowledge that before you get to any of the peripheral sort of B-side stories, how many people acknowledge the biggest story, which is Georgia going for its three-peat? How many people have their finger on the pulse enough to realize that Georgia's playing for history right now and anything else you know, compared to that is actually just sort of a secondary story? It reminds me a little bit of the Nebraska dynasty of the 1990s and that there really wasn't one marquee guy. It was just a lot of guys that dominated together. 
And Nebraska didn't get a whole lot of the national attention back then either. You know, there was a lot more sexy stories than Nebraska football. They just kept winning and motoring over people. And Kirby strikes me a lot like Tom Osborne in that manner. So to that point, I don't really know how many people are going to champion that storyline for a couple reasons. One, people like change. They like different. They want to see different teams win titles. That's part of the reason why you're hearing so many other opinions. Everybody wants to be the smartest guy in the room and said, oh, wait a minute. Maybe it's not going to be Georgia. It's going to be, uh, you know, uh, you know, Southern Cal, or it's going to be Ohio State, or it's going to be Alabama. Everybody wants to get ahead on this pick. You know, it's boring to pick Georgia to them. And beyond that, they look at the Georgia roster, and you know, the best player is a tight end. They say, "Well, wait a minute, the best player is a tight end. It's, it's, it's not a quarterback." Now, yeah, that's been the same best player the last two years. Same guy, Brock Bowers. He, he does look good on the highlights if you give him a chance. But I think most people can't get past the idea that the best player on the team is a tight end. Um, and then defensively, it's just it's just kind of a mob of guys. There's just so many of them. Now, last year, Jalen Carter certainly uh, you know was a, was a transcendent player with what he did at interior defensive line once he was healthy. You know, the poor guy wasn't healthy until halfway through the season, and thank goodness Nolan Smith was and, until he got hurt. We never really got to see those two together, I guess, uh, on the field doing damage both at 100%. Um, you know, but you've got guys emerging. Javon Bullard is a guy that's on the list. You know, Lassiter, uh, certainly Malachi Starks. We'll see what Javon Dumas Johnson does, Smile Munden. But, but those aren't players like last year when we, all we heard about was the Alabama linebacker. My goodness, how many times did we hear about Will Anderson? At least as many times as points were scored on Alabama in their losses to uh, Tennessee and LSU, which was like 85, something stupid like that. So uh, I'm with you. Uh, I don't think Georgia's getting nearly the amount of attention uh, that they should, uh, Kirby Smart or individually. And, um, you know, I, I think let's, let's just wait and see. I don't think these people are going to talk about the dog. Remember, Brandon, Georgia was undefeated last year, and when the first rankings came out from the 13 experts, they were still number three. Remember that, Brandon? They no, had no. Tennessee and Ohio State ahead of Georgia in November last year. Do you remember that? No, we talked about it plenty. Sure, sure. Yeah, so here we go. Here we, here we go again. That's what I say. Well, Mike, we appreciate you being here. We'll look forward to reading a lot more from you at dognation.com in the days to come. And uh, we'll have you back here on Dog Nation Daily again, presented by Braided Pest Management very soon there as well. Thanks for your time today, Mike. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Brandon. Have a good one. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. I think Mike brings up an important point there in one respect, and it's something you've heard me say before. When it comes to so-and-so doubts Georgia or so-and-so picks against Georgia, I think it's really important to understand there is no widespread bias against UGA by any of these national media types. There isn't um there is a desire to see something different happen in college football in fact if you really kind of watch the media discussion around college football the last couple of years you see media types almost begging for this right you know at one point in time it sort of seemed like the same teams were making the playoff every single year it was probably never quite as true as it seemed like it was but that was kind of the overall thought of because this, the teams that can win a national championship is relatively small, it seems like the teams competing for a national championship sort of feels like the same ones over and over again. I mean, there is like open begging almost on the part of like prominent media voices for something different to happen. We have, we have large swaths of the country that aren't even really involved in the college ball conversation. Think about anything kind of West Coast, Pac-12. That's a 
a league that you can basically draw a red X on that part of the map before the season even begins. And I believe even though you'll have a good number of Pac-12 teams in the preseason top 25, I don't believe anyone from that league is capable of competing for a championship. I don't think USC plays good enough defense. I think you can draw a, a huge red X on everything way out west in terms of really being able to compete for a championship once texas and oklahoma moved to the sec now you can draw a big red x on most of the the plain states like the remaining big 12 things like that they don't recruit well enough there's not access to talent there that provides a team a chance to truly compete for a championship so here we are now the future college football uh, map sort of looks like a very small sliver of our country the northeast has been x'd out for you know as long as any of us been alive uh so you x that out so you've got a pocket of the south a pocket of the midwest and that's like geographically the only places where national championship contenders are even produced so the national media types know the sport would probably be you know, a little bit more vibrant if it was a little bit more national if a big city like la if a big city like you know seattle the big city like you know wherever else if those if those big cities felt like they had teams close to them that a real shot the sport would be better so they're begging for more of a nationalized version of college football but the deep south just won't let that happen because the congregation of talent that exists around here now if anything is kind of like i guess bumping up against the success that georgia has had it's probably this and we don't talk much nba here for obvious reasons we're a college football show but if you follow the NBA this year, the weird thing was, you know, Nikola Jokic from the uh, Denver Nuggets led the Nuggets to a championship, but was kind of upended in his pursuit of what turned out to be was going to be a third straight MVP. And he, I think he was clearly the best player in the NBA, I believe. And yet, ultimately, it seemed like there was this thought of, are we sure we want this guy being a three straight MVP? Are we sure this is the kind of figure in our league compared to the historic players that have played in our league? Are we sure that the guy to do it three straight ought to be a guy like Jokic? And it seemed like there was a little bit of, a, I guess, reconsidering of him about halfway through the season of, hey, maybe it's time for somebody else to win the MVP because this guy's already won it twice in a row. And I'm not quite so sure it seems right for Nikola Jokic to be the one that wins three straight MVPs, whether he deserves it or not. In some respects, Georgia may be being treated a little bit like Nikola Jokic was treated in the NBA of, well, they've won two straight. Are we sure we want this team to win three straight? Are we sure we want this team to own that piece of history? Well, the good news is MVPs are decided on in a vote situation. Championships in football are decided on the field. And Georgia may go out and truly show how historic it is here this season. Now, all of that said, let's get ready to go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Talk about history being made, Dog Nation history being made next spring. When Dog Nation has its its next iteration of the dog nation cruise taking place for the very first time ever on an oasis class ship the one thing we heard you know in resounding fashion from our second dog nation cruise is the people who were on board with us the hundreds that were on board they loved it and they wanted it bigger and they wanted it better in the uh in the years to come well we're going to satisfy that here in april of 2024 april 22nd through the 26th leaving from port canaveral going to nassau in the bahamas going to perfect day coco Cay on board allure of the seas this is an oasis class ship this is one of the largest ships at sea you're talking about all the various neighborhoods not just the royal promenade uh but also like the central park neighborhood where like you're literally walking through what sort of feels like a city park and yet you're on a cruise ship the boardwalk neighborhood the uh aqua theater on the back of the ship the level of entertainment and just space provided 
on ships this size is really remarkable, and it's why you want to be a part of this. So our buddy Jessica Slater, great travel agent, has put a website together. It's royaldogs.com. That's royaldogs.com. You can go there. Obviously, dogs is spelled the way it's supposed to be, D-A-W-G-S. You can go to royaldogs.com and find out all the details with the Dog Nation crews next April on board an Oasis-class ship, Allure of the Seas. Bigger and better uh, for the Dog Nation crews next year. We can't wait to have you on board for that. By the way, really cool things coming from our friends at Royal Caribbean, too. Some brand new ships getting ready to set sail. Can't wait to tell you more about those in the days to come there, too. All right, let me deal with a couple of things cruising on the SEC. Uh, you may have seen this. I joked about this on Twitter the other day. Florida going to uh, greatly improve Ben Hill Griffith Stadium, the stadium known as the Swamp. They're going to put $400 million into a renovation project there. And obviously, any kind of story involving Florida, I'm essentially contractually obligated to sort of make fun of it to begin with. So I've kind of done my piece making fun of that. But let me kind of zero in and get serious in this just for a moment. $400 million is a gigantic sum of money for a stadium renovation project. Most brand new stadiums these days cost about a billion dollars or so. So what you're really talking about for Florida here is about a half of a new stadium. Think about like the sort of state of the art type stuff that you see at the professional level in most cases. Florida's putting a financial investment here for the swamp that that's about half of that. And it's important to note that, you know, in like Major League Baseball, we make a big deal about Fenway Park and Wrigley Field, these very old stadiums that are quaint and folks like visiting there. I've been lucky enough to go to both those venues. And I've, as someone who loves baseball and loves history, it's just really cool to see these historic old baseball venues. That's just a really fun thing. But in college football, you know, a lot of the stadiums are about as old as Wrigley Field, Fenway Park. We don't make quite as big a deal about that because we've just sort of come to expect college football stadiums to sort of look old and they sort of feel old. They're not state of the art. They don't have all the bells and whistles. Now, some of the luxury suites, things like that have been added over the years. But the main structure of most of these stadiums is actually pretty old. And most programs have sort of been okay with that. But eventually, you know, stuff decays. Eventually, stuff needs to be, you know, renovated and replaced, whatever else. And so maybe what we're seeing from Florida here is the start of what we may see in a lot of other places in the future where there's just sort of a natural need to upgrade the facility uh, because, you know, what has been old and quaint, all of a sudden it's not quite functional anymore. We may see more of that happening in the time to come. And what's going to be really interesting is, you know, most of these college venues, the Swamp is obviously known for this, you know, raucous game day environment, intense atmosphere. And in professional sports, when teams have kind of gone from the old stadium, to the new stadium, oftentimes the atmosphere has suffered because of that. I, I would say that if you attended Braves games in the old Fulton County Stadium, you know, when they switched to Turner Field, I don't think the same vibe exists at Turner Field that it did exist at Fulton County Stadium late 90s, or I should say early 90s, the late days of Fulton County Stadium when the Braves are really good. Now, Truist Park's an entirely different animal that is a much better atmosphere and environment than Turner Field was, but still the, the overall, you know, message there kind of holds. Certainly Falcons fans will tell you this. The best version of the Georgia Dome when Michael Vick was playing or when Matt Ryan was there, as loud as the Georgia Dome could get, as much fun and intense as that atmosphere could be at times, I don't think there's been anything from the Falcons that's rivaled that since moving to Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I don't know why this is. I don't blame the new construction, but it seems like the new, fancier venues don't create the same level of atmosphere. It's probably because the tickets are more expensive and it's a different kind of fan that's coming to these games for the most part the newer venues the nicer venues seem to reduce the overall atmosphere in the stadium for 
whatever reasons, maybe the ones we described, maybe additional ones. So if Florida is the first of what many other teams are going to do in the SEC, where eventually you've got to put big bucks into a stadium, you've got to renovate it because the old stadium just doesn't quite, you know, things decay, things deteriorate over the course of time. You also wonder if some of these SEC stadiums will suffer from an atmosphere standpoint because of that. I'm not trying to make fun of Florida. I'm not trying to like poke fun. I mean, the swamp has been a very tough place to play. Will they lose some of that if the if if the stadium becomes newer, becomes nicer? You know, uh, uh, in, in some cases in professional sports, we've seen the answer to that be yes. That that nicer, newer stadiums seem to cause atmospheres to suffer sometimes. Here's the other thing too is that we're kind of living in a day and age now where donors are being pushed to give to their NIL programs at the expense of some of the capital improvements, so some of the facility upgrades. And look, there are some facility upgrades that probably weren't necessarily needed. We can cite the, the mo- these examples here. Was it Auburn that has the waterfall in the weight room? That serves no purpose whatsoever. Is it Clemson that has the lazy river on their football facility? That also kind of serves no purpose whatsoever. Those are just cosmetic you know, ornaments, they don't really serve much of a purpose at all. But as I said before, you know, eventually all facilities will need to be improved. All facilities will need to be kind of modernized because things just deteriorate and decay over the course of time. So you may be looking at a situation in the future, whether it be to your stadium or to your whatever else, where you need a facility upgrade. This is not a cosmetic thing. You have money. You don't know what to spend it on. So therefore, you put, you know, a waterfall in the weight room or a lazy river around the building you may actually need to improve a facility. You may need wider concourses, for instance. You may need, uh, you know, whatever, you know, better weight room, better better uh, locker room. You may need more of that uh, to kind of modernize the, the, the buildings here. But the way in which you've raised money on this kind of stuff, that may not be there quite as much anymore. You may have to see more of these college teams sort of taking out loans and doing things like that to actually sort of pay for this kind of stuff the old-fashioned way because the idea of raising money for it's towards something like this a lot of that money may be going towards nil in the future you know i I think we're entering a time in which you may see more teams having to take on more of these kinds of projects and they may have to be kind of funding them pay for them a slightly different way so florida putting big bucks into its stadium we'll see if that starts a process of other teams feeling they need to do the same thing that is not a small financial investment there after all uh one more quick note here um so yesterday i thought a little bit of a surprising commitment announcement for cam coleman the five-star wide receiver from phoenix city alabama who I think a lot of folks on the internet thought might go to Auburn, yet Colbin announced he's going to Texas A&M. And in this NIL age in which we live in, you know, I think sometimes you're going to see more of this. It feels like we see more of this now than we used to. The sort of random commitment announcement to sort of the one-off type team. I would say that A&M, for the most part, has had very little overall recruiting momentum. I'm not saying they're recruiting badly, but, you know, the the great success they enjoyed in 2022 doesn't quite feel like we're carrying over that quite as much and yet they step up and win with one of the biggest players in the country here in the case of uh coleman i'm assuming the nil is obviously part of that a&m has zero offensive track record to sell on this the future of jimbo fisher is anything but certain and yet they step up and win with a guy like coleman you know i think a lot of folks thought he might go to auburn now we've seen phoenix city wide receivers leave the state before obviously justin ross went to clemson so from that standpoint what coleman did is maybe not all that surprising uh but this is not quite where i think a lot of folks thought this one was going to go and Texas a&m sort of shows you after a lot of noise being made with the 2022 recruiting cycle maybe they still have a little bit of juice left uh here and they go out and get a guy like coleman and we'll see you know what comes of that and for now we'll make that cruising 
around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And by the way, uh, here we are, you know, in the middle of summer. A lot of you enjoyed the 4th of July holiday yesterday, and you've had a great kind of summertime uh, experience over the course of the last few days. And many of you know that we're doing that kind of stuff around here in our cooler. We're going to the pool or when we're going to the lake or going to the beach, wherever else. We're taking the Finnish long drink with us. Obviously, there's all kinds of great varieties of the Finnish long drink, but a lot of you are aware right now the brand new Finnish long drink peach flavor in Georgia. A special treat for the peach state here for a limited time. Many of you trying that and enjoying that. How much fun has that been? I've already heard great feedback from so many of you. The peach flavored version of the Finnish long drink seems to be really, really popular right now. So do me a favor. Go to thelongdrink.com. You can put in your zip code and you can find out where you can pick up this limited edition flavor of the Finnish long drink here today. It's just like the rest of the Finnish long drink options. It's a ready to drink cocktail right there in a can. So if you like the gin kick, but you like the great flavor to go with that, in this case, the peach flavor, boy, you're going to love the peach flavor of the Finnish long drink. So make sure you check it out today. What a great way to make your summer even more enjoyable. So when you're out there playing golf or fishing at the lake or uh, getting a tan by the pool, whatever you got going on, boy, the peach flavor of the Finnish long drink is the thing to go with you for all of that. So find them online at thelongdrink.com. Find out where you can pick some up and hope you enjoy that today. All right, before we give our golden shoe, I have to give like a public service announcement. Dog Nation Daily in no way condones dangerous driving or harassing behavior or anything like that but I, I did get this sent to me and i thought i'd show this to you here so this guy says he's uh, we'll show this in the screen so he's driving he says this is a uga nation 412 so i was driving from pittsburgh to the beach and caught uh, a guy from virginia uh who had a florida license plate so he drives up next to him shows off the uh, georgia hat he says, I've been being a proper gator hater. I flashed in that Georgia hat on the flyby. His wife wasn't impressed at all. I think it's very funny. Uh, obviously, way up there and even in Pittsburgh, a little Georgia versus Florida battle. You don't mind seeing that. UGA Nation 412. Appreciate you being a good gator hater. Uh, very, very funny stuff. We'll give you a golden shoe for that indeed. And by the way, speaking of those lousy, stinking gators, about 115 days from right now, Georgia back in Jacksonville, beating up on Florida again, and gator haters all over the uh, country, in Pittsburgh and everywhere else, they'll have plenty to celebrate when that goes down. And we'll see all of you back here tomorrow, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management.